Well, hello everybody. Welcome to another edition of Rick's Mix. I know it's been a couple weeks. Apologize for my absence. It's been it's been pretty busy around here. Um, I got the mess with the car going on, which I guess I'll have to record another episode with an update on that. It's 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 gotten to be uh, quite a perilous uh, adventure that's going on there. Uh, but tonight, uh, I want to do something a little different. I, I wanted to, uh, uh, if you know me, you know that I love pop culture. I love music. I love movies. I love TV. I love trivia. I love all that kind of stuff. Um, and so tonight, uh, I thought it might be fun to do an episode called My Top 10 Sitcoms of All Time. Sitcoms being situation comedy. Uh, and so I've kind of made a list of what I think are probably my top 10, 1 through 10, I have some uh, some honorable mentions, uh, and we're gonna go through them. I think it might be kind of fun. Uh, I know everybody loves sitcoms. We all grew up on them from the '50s or '60s all the way up through present day. Um, but I've got what I consider my top ten, and obviously it's very very subjective or objective, whatever the word is. Um, these are the ones that are my favorite in my life that I've watched for various reasons. Now, I will stay up front. There is going to be some uh, glaring exclusions that I'm sure people are expecting. Um, so a few ground rules that I did are I only did sitcoms where I watched either all or the vast majority of the entire series. Uh, and so because of that, there's going to be a few that are left out that I'm sure everybody's going to bash me for. Uh, the, the most popular of which would probably be All in the Family. Um, I'm sure I would probably love the show if I watched it, but it was on a little before my time. Um, and I just, I've only seen like maybe two or three episodes. And so I, I'm sure it's a great show. I'm sure it's one of the greatest ones ever made, but I haven't seen enough to really include it in my, my list. Um, also the other one being MASH. I know MASH is one of the all time most popular sitcoms, but I actually only ever watched a couple episodes. So. I can't, by all rights, put it on my list. Uh, so uh, let's let's just jump into it. Um, let's go with the honorable mentions first. <clears throat> so honorable mention number one, and these are in the honorable mentions are in no particular order. These are just kind of a handful. I mean, I listen. I've been watching sitcoms since I was a kid, and I watched stuff you know from the '60s all the way up to present day. When I was a kid, there was tons of ones that I like. You know, like. Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch and stuff like that. None of those really made my list, although they're fantastic. Um, well, I think of a Gilligan's Island probably could have. That was a pretty good show. What do you say, Max? That was a good show, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, if you saw more, you'd love it. That was one of my favorites growing up. Um, but anyway, I, I just kind of got a handful of uh, honorable mentions that I, I, I kind of thought about putting in my top ten, but just for whatever reason, I couldn't. Uh, so these honorable mentions are in no particular order. Uh, we'll start with Three's Company. Three's Company was a sitcom from back in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, John Ritter started in it. Fantastic actor. Great comedic actor. Uh, physical comedy. Everything else. Just everything. Um, I love Three's Company. I didn't get to watch it a lot when I was growing up. Um, when it was you know, when it was on the air, only because it was late night. Um, but later on, when I really kind of got into it. It was, it was funny. Uh, the only thing is, it's kind of a little formulaic and... It's like every episode is the same. It's based on, you know, some kind of misunderstanding and the hijinks that ensue and everything else. There's that one great episode of Friends where uh, the, the remote got stuck on Three's Company or something like that. And Chandler comes in and he says, oh, is this the one where there's some kind of misunderstanding? <laughs> Which is great because if you've watched 
you know, if you watch Three Companies, you know, you know that that's basically the whole premise of the entire show. Um, so yeah, Three's Company is great. Uh, the, the Ropers, the original landlords, were great. Later on, uh, when they left Norman Fell, they they got a spinoff, The Ropers, which I remember watching, and it wasn't really that great. Uh, and then he was replaced by uh, Don Knotts as Mr. Furley, and uh, to me, that's when the show kind of really took off. Mr. Furley was worth the price of admission alone. Guy was hilarious. Just Don Knotts was so great at just comedy, and him and John Ritter together were fantastic. Uh, another honorable mention, and I, I know I'm going to take some flack on this. People are going to make fun of me. I really don't care. Uh, Golden Girls. I watched this in the 80s simply because my mother, you know, it was, it was one of her favorite shows. She loved it, and, and she watched it, and so, you know, she always had it on. We watched it, but I got to tell you, make fun of me if you want, but it may be a show about, you know, four old and older women or whatever, three retired or whatever they're called, but I'm telling you, the humor in that show, there is some adult humor, and there is some, some really, really funny stuff in there. Go back and watch a few episodes, and you'll see. That was Golden Girls was a very, very underrated show. Thank you for being a friend. Just a great show. Great show. Uh, another one, Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, this was one of the most popular ones of the 90s and maybe a little bit beyond. Uh, it's, in re it's in reruns everywhere, and we watch the reruns. I really like it. It's hilarious. I love the way that, the, you know, the relationship with the with – the, I, I love Ray's parents. They're funny. They're old Italian couple, whatever. The way she's always buttoning in. The, the father, played by Peter Boyle, is hilarious. He's one of probably my favorite part of the whole show. Him and Robert. Robert just brings such comic relief. Uh, but I, I couldn't include it in my top ten because there's something that always kind of irks me about it, about the show, and I, I can't quite put my finger on it. But it's just kind of, sometimes it just kind of irks you. But, yeah, overall, everybody loves Raymond. Great show. And also a special mention to the episode where they go back to Italy. That was one of them, probably my all-time favorite episode. I just thought it really, really captures the spirit of what Italy is all about. Uh, an older one that I grew up with when I was a kid. This is from the 70s, although I kind of watched it in reruns. Because I was probably only a few years old when it was on. was uh, Welcome Back, Cotter. Welcome back. Great theme song. Absolute great theme song. Love it. Um, but, yeah, I loved it. I mean, what? I mean, geez, geez Louise. We're growing up, we, we we would quote Horshack. We would quote Vinnie Barbarino. Of course, my favorite was the was uh, Freddie Boom Boom Washington. Hi there. You know, everybody loved that. Um, yeah, welcome back, Carter. Great theme song. Great, just a great show. Just a great show. Uh, a more recent one from the '90s into the 2000s. I think I don't know if I started in the '90s or the 2000s, but I got into it. I didn't watch it when it first was on. I got into it a little bit late. Um, but we're going with Scrubs. Scrubs has some very, very smart writing, which I love. Um, the whole, you know, it takes place in the, in the the hospital, but the the um. I can't. Oh, uh, John C. McGinley, the the guy, the main character, the main doctor, he's one of the bobs in the movie Office Space. Yeah, he's he makes the show for me. I just love him. If you take him away, and that show kind of falls on its ear, but that's a that's a great show, Scrubs. Uh, another more recent one is that I got into a little bit late is uh, Parks and Recreation. Now, Parks and Recreation is based on The Office, which spoiler alert is going to be in my top ten. Um, it's it's very very similar. But it's some differences between you know between the two that kind of set it apart. Uh, I haven't seen the entire series of it yet, and so that's why I can't quite put it in my top ten. I only got through like season three or four, I think, and then right as I was watching it, boom, they take it off. Netflix took it off, so I, I had to stop. So I'm looking forward to finishing it eventually. But uh, Parks and Recreation is great. I love it. I, lo I like that kind of humor, that sort of subtle humor, and of course. Uh, Ron, uh, what's his name? The guy, the character played by Offerman there. Uh, he's hilarious. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, and the last of the honorable mentions I'm gonna rec I'm gonna mention is uh, Wings. Now, Wings is a very underrated show. It was on back in the '80s. It was part of NBC's blockbuster, humongous uh, Thursday night lineup. I think it came on instead of Cosby Show, if I'm not correct. Which I probably little disclaimer, side note here, Cosby Show I loved. But with all the recent revelations about Bill Cosby and everything, I just could not in good conscience put that anywhere, either in the top ten or my honorable mention list. So, okay, back to the show. So, um, yeah, Wings was great. It was it was on for, you know, a few years. It had it was a, it got about a pilot in, uh, was it Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard? Nantucket, I think. One of those two. Uh, so it had like sort of a local flair. They had a lot of Boston in the, in the show and stuff like that. But it was a great show. Lowell, the, the mechanic. Um, the taxi driver, uh, can't remember his name. Um, but yeah, Wings is very underrated. Great, great show. And without further ado, let us get into the top 10. Starting us off at number 10, The Big Bang Theory. Now, this is a more recent show. Uh, I didn't discover it when it first came out. I, I should probably, before, at the outset, I should probably explain those of you who know me, you've talked, you heard me on the podcast, you know me, whatever, you know this. Um, I was overseas, I mean, since 1998, I've only lived in the States two years. And so being overseas, we didn't always, I, I didn't normally have like regular TV like you have in the U.S. And so a lot of these shows I had to sort of get into later on, some of them when they were already done their run. I mean, I would literally, sometimes I remember going to the shop at in Italy and seeing the video rental. And it is, there'd be this show that I've never heard of. And it'd be like, oh, it's in season eight. And I'm like, oh, where have I been? So when you live overseas, you don't always get that. Uh, so a lot of these shows I got in late. Well, Big Bang Theory was one of them. I don't even remember how I discovered it. But I was hooked immediately. Um, I, I, the show's based around Sheldon, as many of you know. I didn't actually really like him at the beginning of it. I, I thought he was kind of whiny and this, this, and that. But I, I, I completely missed the whole point of him and as I started watching more of the show and I understood you know what it was supposed to be about and I started kind of embracing him and embracing everything that that, that it was about and I I just love it I, I love the smart writing I this is a you're going to see this as a common theme with me when it comes to sitcoms I love smart comedy I love comedy that you know jokes and in writing that you know a lot of the average people don't normally get sometimes or goes right over their head that's why I love British British uh, comedies but Big Bang Theory is just, you know, it's, I mean, heck, the, the, the friggin' show's about, you know, nuclear, or, or uh, physicists and and stuff like that, so of course it's going to be smart humor, um, but everything about the show is just fantastic. Uh, a little bit of trivia, the uh, the guy who plays the main, one of the main characters, Leonard, you know, he was, I'm sure a lot of you have watched the show, you already know this, but he played, uh, he played Russ in The the Sun in uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation back in, it came up came out in 1989 i think and uh the girl who plays the um the neighbor penny you know they had a little thing or they had a uh, they ended up married on a show i guess um oh by the way i'm not saying spoiler alerts on this so if you don't want if you if you don't want spoilers then just don't listen um anyway so the girl who plays penny kaylee cuoco yeah they dated in real life for like two or three years eventually they split up but they stayed close and stayed friends and everything else um but yeah, the the show is just so great. It's so fantastic with the, the smart humor. They actually have, uh, they actually have like like um, physicists or what they call science consultants. Uh, there's a guy named David Salzberg. He's a professor of physics and astronomy at the University of Cal or, U or UCLA, 
and he usually he's like employed by the show to kind of go over the scripts and make sure that everything's written right that there's nothing wrong and there's no glaring which is funny because the, the average person would never ever pick up on any of that which is funny uh, and then later on when they added uh, Maim Bayalik, however you say her name, she's everybody knows her from the 80s show Blossom. When they added her as Sheldon's, Sheldon's sort of whatever kind of love interest, um, she's got a Ph.D. in neuroscience, and so she's like the real deal. So she actually uh, helps a lot with her own lines, or she scripts her own lines about that stuff. So, uh, yeah, Big Bang Theory I just love. I just think it's a just a smart show, uh, but it has enough like physical comedy and sort of dumbed down humor uh it's a lot of what they call nerd humor you got the guy uh stewart that owns the the comic the, the comic show one of the best lines is where penny who's like this hot blonde she goes into the comic store with uh with Le- with uh with leonard and stewart comes up to him and he's like blink twice if you're being held against your will <laughs> you know it's just that kind of humor i just i think it's hilarious um and of course you know you got hot women in there as well penny is hot as hell and then you get um the girl who plays howard's uh uh, girlfriend later on wife bernadette she's she's hot as hell too um speaking of howard him and raj are i I, they really add to the comedic effect so howard the character of howard's like a you know this jewish guy who still lives with his mother and his mother's how howard she's hilarious uh he plays a prototypical or stereotypical, Jew, you know, Jewish guy who lives with his mother, even though he's like a astrophysicist or whatever. No, he's an engineer. I'm sorry, he's an engineer. And then you got Raj, who's an Indian guy. You know, which you can't have a show like this without an Indian guy. I mean, you go to any of these high tech, you know, colleges, you're going to see Indian guys everywhere. Um, hope that doesn't sound racist or anything. But uh, yeah, it, so those two together are just hilarious. So anyway, Big Bang Theory. They, they come in at my number ten. Absolutely love the Big Bang Theory. Okay, number nine. We're going back to the 70s for this one. Good Times. I'm sure plenty of people my age remember this one. Uh, I grew up with this one in syndication. I mean, it was, I didn't know, it was, it came on in, I think, 74. I was only three years old. Went to the end of the decade. It ended in 79, so it ran for six seasons. Um, what can I say about Good Times? This was, uh, Good Times was groundbreaking. I mean, I, we talked about the Com- the Cosby's a little while ago, how, you know, that was sort of kind of, whatever uh but good times was was groundbreaking it was it is an interesting fact for those of you who have watched the show um the produ- the creators and producers had originally intended it to be based or sort of um they based the characters or whatever they wanted it to be modeled after uh, all in the family believe it or not but with a black family and so it's kind of funny to read the history of how the show went because they wanted it to be, you know, to, to sort of tackle really serious issues, but kind of in a comedic way, just like All in the Family did. Um, but what ended up happening was, for those of you who have seen the show, um, you know, the, it's about uh, James and Florida uh, Evans. And they're a couple that live in the, in the projects in uh, Chicago. And they have three kids, J.J., Thelma, and Michael. And J.J.'s, um, I think he... I think in the originally when the show starts, he's like seventeen, and he's kind of a caricature. He's he he doesn't work. He's kind of skinny. He wears that stupid looking hat, and he's got that little catchphrase "dynamite." You know, he claps his hands. And I, what ended up happening was, uh, you know, he became like really popular, and the catchphrase "dynamite" became that's what everybody knew it for. And so eventually, the show sort of changed direction and went from trying to tackle the serious issues to 
you know, highlighting JJ and his hijinks and everything else. And as it turns out, uh, you know, the, the, the actors, actor and actresses that played the, um, the parents, John Amos and Esther Roll, uh, they really didn't like it. They hated it. I mean, they were really upset. They, they, they said, you know, the writers just kind of screwed them over and, and, you know, decided they just want to go to this sort of caricature of a, of a, you know, a black kid who, who didn't work and couldn't read or write and who just had a catchphrase of dynamite, whatever. Um, yeah, it, it was a groundbreaking show, especially for me, you know, watching it growing up. And I, I'm this lily white kid, you know, from, from the suburbs. And I, I, you know, we didn't really have that many black people where I was, where I grew up or whatever. Uh, but see, being exposed to what life was like in like a Chicago, you know, the projects there and stuff like that was kind of eye opening for me and show me a side of the U S and a side of life that I didn't, I didn't see. I mean, it was a funny show too. And of course, Thelma, I mean, my God, what kid my age did not have a crush on Thelma to this day, my God. Um, so yeah, it, good times was a great show. It, it had, and I mean, you want to talk about guest stars. I mean, this, you, I mean, it's like a who's who. I mean, you had Debbie Allen, you had uh, Sorrel Brook, who was the, um, if you remember the Dukes of Hazard, he played Boss Hogg. Uh, I mean, Rosalind Cash, my brother, was uh, Johnny Cash's daughter. Gary Coleman from Different Strokes. You had Kim Fields, who ended up playing Tootie on uh, uh, Facts of Life. Um, you had Ron Glass, who was you know famous on Barney Miller. You had Louis Gossett Jr. You had Robert Guillaume from Benson. Philip Baker Hall, your Gordon Jump, who played the the big guy on uh, WKRP, even Jay Leno did a did a a cameo on it one time years years before anybody ever heard of him. Uh, Charlotte Ray, of course, who was you know played uh, Mrs. Garrett on Different Strokes, and then later on Facts of Life, she was on it. Uh, Bubba Smith, of course, Philip Michael Thomas, who went on to play um, the guy on uh, Miami Vice. Carl Weathers, of course, uh, everybody knows him. So yeah, I mean, the show was just—it was incredible. It was—it was something to watch. It was funny. It made you think. It was just—it's just a really great, just a really great show overall. Okay, that brings us to number eight. My number eight sitcom of all time. This one's a little more recent. May surprise some people with this one. I'm going with Frasier. Yes, absolutely. I love Frasier. Uh, Cheers. Who? Spoiler alert. We will hear from later on down the list. Uh, was one of my all-time favorite sitcoms. Uh, Frasier was a spinoff of Cheers, and I don't normally like spinoffs, but Frasier became just a juggernaut in its own right. Um, it's an interesting story about how Frasier came about. He he started out as just kind of a bit role on Cheers, who you know I guess we'll talk about later what everybody knows. But um, when Cheers ended, uh, one of the I think it was one of the writers, or I don't remember exactly who it was, but. Um, they had talked to, to uh, uh, Kelsey Grammer, who played Frasier on Cheers, and his popular his character become really popular, and said, "Hey, you know, we want to do a spinoff with you or something like that. We want to do a, you know, a, a thing with Frasier." And they kind of and Kelsey Grammer was like, "Okay, you know, when when the show ends, we'll definitely do it." Um, and so once the show ended, they were like, "Okay, well now we got to do something." So so they were like, "Okay, how are we going to script the show on Frasier?" So a few interesting things I read about it are that I never knew. Um, Number one, uh, they originally wanted the show to take place in Denver. That was the plan. They were gonna. T- it was gonna take place in Denver, and the reason why was they were trying to find a city. You know, they wanted to differentiate it from Cheers. So they're like, we need a city that's as far away from Bo- away from Boston as we can possibly get, and they they settled on Denver. Uh, so that was gonna happen. Um, <clears throat> and then 
it was it was right around that time uh i'm trying to think um yeah it was right around that time that the state of colorado they passed a law that prevented uh cities from enacting anti-discrimination laws that protected like gays and lesbians and bisexuals and stuff and so the creators were like okay well screw you colorado we're not going to hold the show there anymore i guess to kind of punish them whatever so they chose seattle and in a in a roundabout funny way, I I think that's absolutely per. It worked out perfectly. It couldn't all have worked out better because the show started. I want to say it was around ninety three, ninety four, somewhere around there. I had just graduated from college, and it, I mean, what city in the United States encapsulates or captures the nineties better than Seattle? I mean, Seattle really was the nineties. You had the whole grunge thing going on with uh, Nirvana. And then you had, uh, you know, the whole coffee thing with Starbucks and, and everything else that, that started in, in Seattle. And and so just the fact that it took place there, like, really, really, you know, it, it, it just couldn't have worked out any better for them. Um, another couple of interesting tidbits about the show is um, originally they wanted, they well, okay, so originally they thought, well, Kelsey Grammer would be, we can't make him a psychiatrist like with a private practice because it's going it, to, it'll mirror, it'll mirror the, the Bob Newhart show, which is popular for years. And they didn't want to do that. And so they, you know, looked at other things to do. And eventually they settled on a radio show, which they almost, they almost decided against because we're like, well, you know, we got WKRP in Cincinnati, you know, which is, which is, you know, big as a radio thing or whatever. Uh, they thought it might be too reminiscent of that. Uh, so what they ended up doing was they settled on, they said, okay, we're going to have it on a radio station, but we're going to s- sort of center the, sh- the show more around like Frazier's home life. That way it's not centered around like radio life. So while it obviously takes place in a radio station, there's a lot of the stuff that's filmed there. Um, a lot more of it is, you know, takes place in his, his private life. Um, but uh, the main reason I love the show is it goes back to what I, I, I keep I keep saying and that I'm going to keep saying is that I just it's very, very unbelievably smart writing. I love smart writing like this. Um, I love I just I love the phrase, the character of Frazier and his brother Niles, who's another um, psychiatrist about how they're always they're sort of snobbish and everything like this. And they're always trying to break into high society of Seattle and stuff like that. Um, and then, of course, you got Daphne Moon, the, the, the housekeeper and caretaker of uh, Frazier's father uh it, it, interesting she was the character her character was originally supposed to be hispanic um and then one of the producers whatever had seen jane leaves and something else and said you know i think this i have i think i know someone who'd be perfect for it and so they they kind of came in and i think they hired her without even a read through or whatever so she got it um now there's a there's an interesting thing about this if for those of you who watch cheers like religiously like i did growing up you remember that you know Frazier at uh, one or one or two times, and during the run of tears talks about how his dad was a, <clears throat> excuse me, a, oh, I can't remember what it was, what he says he did for a living, but he basically said he was killed, said his dad was killed, and so it's like, well, how do you reconcile that? Now his dad's one of the main characters, and the way they did it in Frazier was interesting. They, I think he said something. I think there was an episode of Frazier, if I remember right, where he told said something like he was he just had a really bad fight with his father and he was so angry with him that he basically said, Oh yeah, my father's dead. My father was killed. So that's kind of how they explained it. So for those of you who have wondered about that, that's kind of how it, how it, how it happened. So, um, but yeah, just a great show. Another little interesting tidbit about the, uh, 
you know, those of you who watch Frasier, you you know the uh, what do you call it? The uh, the the song at the end. Maybe a maybe I feel the blues are calling, toss salads and scrambled eggs. There's a story behind that. The lyric I always wondered about that. I'm like that lyrics makes no sense. It actually does. Um, I was reading something one time about how the the song is okay. So the turn. So we. So let's just take this one step at a time. So where he goes, baby, I hear the blues are calling. So that that uh, line means I hear the blues are calling. In other words, people are calling in with these sad stories and stuff. Da, 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 da. And then he says, here the blues are calling, toss salads and scrambled eggs. So toss salads and scrambled eggs are supposed to be representative of things that are completely mixed up. It's completely mixed together. Like, don't make any sense. It's completely mixed up. A toss salad and scrambled eggs. So tossed, you know, and scrambled and blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's kind of the, so there actually is a, like a rhyme to the reason of that song. I always thought it was just some, you know, nonsense songs. That, uh, and Kelsey Grammer sings it, by the way. Um, so, yeah, I, you know. There, there were supposed to be stuff that, just like Fraser Crane's patients, were like mixed up, toss salads and scrambled eggs and blah blah blah. Uh, and like I said, here the blues are calling. That refers to like you know troubled listeners who are calling in and stuff like that. Um, so just thought that was interesting. So, um, so yeah, Fraser definitely one of my all-time favorites. Okay, so that takes us to number seven, which is another one of my all-time favorite sitcoms, uh, going back to when I was growing up. And that is Family Ties. Now, if you're my age, you probably watched this. Uh, this was one of, the, again, one of NBC's big-time Thursday night shows. Um, it started in 1982. I was 11. I, it took me probably a year or two to get into it. But this, I, I don't know what it is about the show that I love so much. I guess it's just kind of like I grew up with it. And what I mean by that is... I was born in 71, so I consider myself really like a child of the 80s because I, I, I was nine years old when, when the 1980s started, and I graduated high school the, right around the, and started college the year you know, that the 1980, or 1980s ended. And all of my formative years were really, really took place in the 80s during the Reagan years. And I, I can't think of a single sitcom um, growing up that really sort of captured that better than Family Ties. And I didn't realize that at the time. It's just it was you know going on concurrently as I was growing up. Um, you know, it's so for those who have never seen it because I know it's an older show. So it's basically um, it takes place obviously in the eighties and uh, right outside of Columbus, Ohio, right in the heartland. And uh, it's about a, a couple, uh, Stephen and Elise Keaton, and they were sixties hippies, sixties liberal hippies. You know, who did the whole you know they met at Berkeley and they used to do the marches and they were. All of the, you know, stereotypical things that all the hippie liberals did um, back then. And they now they're grown up, they're married, they have jobs. Uh, Steven manages a PBS station, of course, and Elisa, I think, is an architect. <clears throat> and they have three kids. They have Alex, who's the oldest, and then uh, Mallory, who's the middle, and Jennifer, who's the youngest. And Alex is, like, the complete opposite of his parents. He's, he's like a young Republican. He's a Reagan fanatic, and he's... He's all about, you know, you know, making money and he's a yuppie and all this and that and the other. He's like a wannabe entrepreneur, would-be millionaire kind of thing. Um, and he's, it's just, it's funny because he's the complete opposite. And then really, when you really think about it, I mean, he gets all the attention. But if you really think about it, you go down to the middle daughter, Mallory. She's kind of the opposite too because she's kind of an airhead and she's very materialistic and, 
you know, doesn't have any, like, real ideals or anything. She, all she cares about is clothes and boys and stuff like that, <clears throat> which, you know, the, the 60s is supposed to be not about and everything. Um, and then the youngest, Jennifer, is just kind of like a tomboy or whatever. Um, but the, the show obviously realized pretty early on that Alex was the real star, and so they kind of scripted around him, and it's and it's it's wonderful. It's just it's great. I don't think you would ever have a show like this today because it it really was kind of like the juxtaposition between you know the the the, the sort of you know free love and hippie liberal attitudes of the '60s versus the '80s yuppie you know let's make money greed is good kind of stuff. Uh, but it didn't really ever kind of say one was better than the other or portray one as better than the other it just kind of wrote jokes about both of them and made fun of both of them and and that's just what's so great about it you know um so yeah i mean just a great show I, and I, I grew up with it right through the 80s um i was a i grew up as a very conservative republican so i kind of identify with alex and i kind of wanted to be just like him when i was younger um but great show uh just hilarious uh, Mallory Keaton, I mean, what kid my age didn't have a crush on her growing up either? Jeez. Uh, Justine Bateman, yeah. Um, and then somewhere around, I don't know, season four or five, they added a, they added, or Elise, the actress who plays Elise, um, Meredith Baxter Burney, she got pregnant, so they had to write it in as part of the show, and she had a little kid. So they wrote it in as part of the show as, uh, as Andrew, which normally... It, that's kind of like the death knell for a show that the jump in the shark moment if they, they feel like oh ratings are sagging we got to introduce a new young a young kid or something like that but they played it off really well it was really funny to see sort of the play between alex and him where alex was sort of taking him under his wing and trying to turn him into a like a young republican like him where the parents are trying to fight it and yeah it was it was just a just a really really funny thing but it was definitely definitely a great show family ties was just one of the more underrated ones I don't know if it holds up after all these years. I I found it somewhere online on one of my streaming things, and I've been watching it. I've been enjoying it as much as I did back then. Uh, but for those who you know didn't grow up in the era and you watch it, I I don't. I'm not sure what hold up for you, but for me, it's definitely one of my all time favorite shows. Okay, now we move on to number six. Now I'm kind of breaking protocol a little bit with this one. Um, if you don't like it? Guess what? I don't care. It's my podcast. I can do whatever I want. Um, for number six, I have The Office. And when I say The Office, I'm actually including both the British and the American version. Now, the reason I'm doing that is it's kind of hard for me to separate the two. Now, I love the British version of The Office. I loved it immediately. I think it's fantastic. But it's kind of hard to consider it a sitcom because it only had like, it was like two two seasons, two short seasons, and then they did a Christmas special. And that's kind of the beauty of it. It's kind of what makes it what it is or whatever. And I absolutely love it. It's one of my all-time favorite shows. Um, when they created the American one, they based they obviously based it off of the British one. And I'm not sure exactly what the thinking was at first. I didn't know if they were just going to be a remake or whatever. But I remember the watching the first episode, and I was like, like they literally they just photocopied the jokes from the British one. I mean, right down to the characters and the scenarios and everything and i was like ah, this i mean they're just recreating the same jokes but for americans this isn't funny to me i've already seen this in the britain one so i kind of didn't really get into it i watched like the first few episodes and then i'm like ah whatever uh i got into it years later you know everybody kept raving about how funny it was so i started watching a few more episodes and then uh, at one point xavier was like daddy we need to we'll find a watch a show we can watch together so i don't know let's try the office 
So Xavier and I went to the entire season, and it was genius. It was genius writing. I mean, the show, I realized, actually sort of found its own niche and, you know, created its own identity. Even though it, it was spawned from the British office, it really created its own identity in, in a brilliant way. Um, the the writing, the jokes, the characters were, I mean, great. I, I remember reading something recently um, where Steve Carell, who played the character of Michael, which is based on the David Brent character in, orig- in the British show, saying something like, when he was prepping to, to audition for the role, he started watching a British office, but he only watched like a couple of episodes, and then he decided, you know what, I'm not going to watch any more of this, because if I do, I'm going to have a tendency to try to basically copy the David Brent role, and he didn't want to do that. He kind of wanted to make put his own spin on it and create his own sort of character, and I, I thought he did. I, th- I think there's just enough of David Brent in his character that it, it works. But he really did a did a great job of sort of creating his own his own you know going off in his own way with Michael and the show I think he left on season, after season seven I think I want to guess and then there were two two seasons left after that and the show really kind of sputtered a little bit after that I mean so really he was the driving force behind the show um, him and Dwight I mean Dwight was just I mean the, it, one of the funniest things about the British Office is the character of uh, of Gareth for anyone who's seen it. And uh, Dwight, is, I think, is just a sort of a a brilliant ad- adaptation of of the of the Gareth character, you know, for American audiences. It was just fantastic, all the little picadillos and and little idiosyncrasies and stuff like that. It's brilliant writing. It's absolutely brilliant writing. I love it. It's hilarious. Um, the last two seasons, uh, I could kind of take or you know, give or take. Uh, but prior to that, yeah, just fantastic. And one of the things I've always thought was cool was. Um, you know, the company that they work for is Dunder Mifflin, a paper company. And in one of the later seasons, um, uh, Michael ends up uh, hooking up with a girl who comes to to work for them as the HR uh, lady. And then later she leaves to go join the, the branch in Nashua, New Hampshire, which is my hometown, of course. So I'm like, hey, Nashua, New Hampshire's hit the big time. So I always thought that was cool. Uh, but yeah, office, the office number six for me. And I, I'm not going to differentiate between the British and the American. I'm just putting them both together as my number six. So if you don't like it, tough shit. Okay, we're halfway through our list now. So let's go to number five. My number five favorite sitcom of all time, which is, I guess, not somewhat. It is a cult favorite. Um, and that would be Arrested Development. Now, those of you never seen the show, not surprising, uh, it had a. It's got a really weird history behind it. A uh, really weird life. Uh, it started out. It was. It was on from 2003 to 2006. Um, but it it got huge, um, wonderful critical acclaim. But it didn't have an audience, and I mean, it didn't get the ratings, and so they ended up canceling it. But there was the cult uh, following of it was so strong um, that people started like writing letters and calling and just delusion um you know the, the studio say oh you can't how dare you take the show off <clears throat> excuse me and so what ended up happening was uh if i'm not mistaken i may have some of the details wrong but uh netflix actually came in and was like you know what we're gonna this is like four or five years later and like we're gonna make a few more seasons or whatever and so they did and i think the new ones were released in like 2013 something like this and it was and then it lasted like maybe two more seasons i I think it had a total of like five seasons, I think, something like that. But I'm going to tell you, I, I heard all about this, and for years everybody kept telling me, they're like, Rick, I'm telling you, this you would love this show. This show is right up your alley. 
Um, you have to watch a show. You have to. And I just was just like, yeah, whatever. I, you know, I don't. Maybe, maybe I'll. Do. And I didn't for years and years and years and years. And it was only like maybe like maybe three years ago or so. I'm like, oh, let me see what it's all about. And I put it on. Oh my god, hooked immediately. This show, I cannot believe. Well, I guess I can't believe it because there are some things in life, not just TV shows, but there are some things in life that are just so goddamn brilliant that not every that just few people get the brilliance of it and appreciate it, you know. And I think this is one of those shows. This show is so freaking brilliant, I can't even do it justice. Um, it, it it's kind of, it's not really it's kind of even hard to describe really what it's about to anybody. So I'm not going to try to explain it or to anybody or anything like that. But I, I just, I, I watched this show and I just, I laugh. The writing is so brilliant. The characters in it, just the, I, I don't even know what to say about this show. I, I don't even know what to say about the show except it's just absolutely goddamn freaking brilliant. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say about it. And that brings us to number four. So number four, I know I'm sure a lot of people have it in their top one or two, but for me it's number four. And that would be Max? You don't know? Take a guess. Friends. Friends. Your all-time favorite show too, huh? Four? Yeah, I have it at four. I've lived a lot more years than you, buddy. So I've seen a lot more shows. So, yeah, I got Friends at number four. I, I, Friends is it's one of those shows you, you love it, you hate it. And there's not a lot of middle ground with a lot of people. I... I mean, I just think it's such a brilliant show. The writing in it is great, but um, it was a show of its time. You know, it was it was groundbreaking for its time. Uh, I got into it from the ground floor. I remember seeing you know previews for this new show called Friends, and I started watching it from episode one, and I just stuck with it the whole way. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great writing, uh, the locations, the everything, everything about it. The jokes, the jokes were timely. The jokes were, I mean for the, the, the time that the, the show was made. I mean, it was just brilliant. It was ahead of its time. Um, it sort of, you know, copied on the whole idea of, hey, let's just make a show about a bunch of friends who sort of hang out together and this, this, and that. But it worked, and it lasted. I mean, just the fact that it lasted, what, 10 seasons, that's a testament to how great it was. And it's not just the fact that it lasted so long. I mean, look at the, look at the amount, just the amount of famous people who were on it. Um just fantastic it, it's an absolute juggernaut um it was part of the whole um thursday night thing back in the in the in the 90s when the you know thursday night nbc was like you know musty tv and all that stuff um it was we it was it was on at the same time as seinfeld and i mean having friends and seinfeld on in the same night was like oh my god thursday night was like oh that's it don't just cancel everything we are not going on a thursday night because we got to watch friends and we got to watch seinfeld um it's such a great show that even to this day that's been off the air for, I don't know, what, 20 years or whatever it's been, um, Max, my 10-year-old, loves it as his all-time favorite show as well. He's seen every single episode. He and I have gone through it. Well, whenever we're bored and we don't know what to do, we're like, ah, just throw an episode of Friends, whatever. Uh, Max, even though he's 10, he's like me. He can quote the show left and right. Uh, he's got all the Friends Lego sets. We just love the show. And I, everybody knows everything about Friends, so there's really nothing I can say about it that you know that you don't know. So... Uh, we're just going to leave it there and move on to the next one. Um, number three, and I know I'm going to get a lot of people out there mad at me for this, but number three for me is Cheers. Now, a lot of people think Cheers all should be number one, at the very least number two. You know, normally it would be. Um, I love Cheers. 
absolutely love Cheers. I remember when Cheers first debuted uh, back in the early 80s, 82, I think. Uh, my dad, uh, my parents were divorced. My dad would come over and spend Thursday nights with us. Cheers came on at 9 o'clock on Thursday nights. So we had to be in bed at 9, so we never really got to watch it. However, my dad loved it, and we loved whatever my dad would love. So um, in the summers, we'd be so excited because we're like, oh, in the summers, we get to stay up late. We don't have to go to bed so we can watch Cheers, you know. It was like a big thing. Um, I love Cheers. It just, I mean... Obviously, I'm biased because Cheers takes place in Boston, and there's so much local flavor in it that I grew up with. You know, I mean, I had you'd have Kevin McHale would be a guest star, or Wade Boggs, and stuff like that, and that was great for me growing up. I mean, I, I spent so much time in Boston growing up. We we used to go there all the time to field trips and Museum of Science and Aquarium and this and North End and this, this and that. Um, so we really sort of identify with it. But, I mean, you, you just cannot deny that the, it's just a brilliant, brilliant show. It's great. And it's it's it starts out fantastic. And then, you know, Shelley Long, who her and the Diane and Sam things going, and all of a sudden she decides she wants to try to be a movie star. Big mistake, by the way. And she leaves the show. They bring Kirstie Allen in, and you're thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, this is going to, I don't know how this is going to, this is going to kind of suck. And it doesn't. It just picks right up where it left off. It just kind of goes in a new direction. But it's just as brilliant. It's just as funny. Same thing with uh, when Coach died after the season two or three, I think it was, and they bring in Woody. You're like, how can they replace Coach? He was such a such a such a great character that everybody loved. It's like, how do they replace this guy? And then Woody comes in, and then Woody Woody becomes you know just takes over. So everything about the show is just great. The writing, the locations for me, um, I just love it. I, everything about Cheers, I think, is just phenomenal. It's like everything a sitcom should be. I was actually in uh, Boston at a Red Sox game the night that they filmed the final episode, and I remember um, as soon as the Red Sox game got out, I think they lost that that year that, that game because it was '93 and they sucked back then. But uh, as soon as the, the game got out, it was everybody was like, "Let's go, let's go head over to Cheers," you know, because it's tonight's final episode. And everybody went over to the um, the Bullfinch Pub, which is the name of the actual bar that uh, Cheers was filmed at. Um, and yeah, it was kind of a special night and all this and that and the other. But yeah. Cheers. Absolutely cheers. Another one I, I don't really, I mean, you, you've either seen it or you haven't. It's a great show. There's, it's iconic. Just absolutely iconic. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you, it's funny, too, because, you know, everybody who knows me, you know I'm a trivia guy. It's like one of the only things in the world that I'm actually kind of decent at is trivia. And so a lot of people over the years have started calling me Chiff, or Cliff, Chiff, Jesus, wrong me. Started calling me Cliff just because I'm good at, you know, trivia, whatever. Um and I'm I'm always like, hey, uh, you know, it's uh, purely existential, then, Nami. You know, Cliff is a Cliff. Cliff is a wonderful character. They originally were gonna make him something else. I can't remember what, but they were gonna give him a different. Um, oh, they were gonna make him a security guard, but then they thought, no, security guards are not really a great uh, profession for like a someone who's like a know-it-all. They thought a, a post office or a, a mailman, a post postman would be better, and so that's how his character became a, a postman. So, yeah, just just a wonderful show. Cheers. So, cheers. Absolutely. My number three, cheers. Okay, so we're down to the last two. So, my number two favorite sitcom of all time. Baby, if you've ever wondered, wondered whatever became of me. That's right, WKRP in Cincinnati. My number two sitcom of all time. Not very popular, this one. Not very well known by a lot of people. Um, I actually, it, it started, I believe, in the 70s. It had a very limited run. I didn't get into it when it was being when it was live on the air or whatever i got into it in reruns years later 
and I got hooked immediately. This is a just a straight, flat-out, goddamn funny show. I I don't know really what I can kind of say about it, but it it's just it is just a funny show. It takes place at a radio station. It's actually based on a real radio station um, in uh, in Cincinnati. They had a um, I'm trying to think. So the show is WKRP. The the station that they based it on was like WKRC or something like that. And they went to the station before they put it on the air, and they were like, "Hey, you know, do you have a problem with us kind of using this kind of copying your call signs or whatever? Are you going to sue us or whatever?" And the station was like, well, "Are you kidding? Hell no! That's free advertisement. We'll take all the free advertisement you want to give us." And so that's how it happened. Um, a lot of the, WKRP it was never really popular with us on the air, um, but. It, People discovered it later on in, in syndication and reruns, and they just it's become almost like a cult show now. I discovered that when I was like in, I don't know, junior high maybe or something. I fell in love with it right away. It is just a funny show. The characters are, are, are great. Um, it's great writing. It's great acting. And the amazing thing is used, the best thing about the show, or not the best thing, but one of the best things about the show was actually the music because it took place at a radio station. And back then, you didn't have to get all these, you know, licenses to use the songs, I guess, or whatever. Because if you remember watching the original series, I mean, they had all these famous songs. You'd hear Pink Floyd. You'd hear, you know, the great episode where Les gets the uh, the hairpiece or whatever, the wig. And he's putting it on to the tune of a hot-blooded jacket. I mean, that's just a classic moment. Um, and it's funny what ended up happening was years later, they, all these shows, all these old shows are coming out on DVD. But they couldn't put out WKRP on, in Cincinnati on DVD because they would they had they had to, they would have had to go back and get like the um, copyright, whatever you call it, rights to to use all that music. And there was so much of it and so many famous songs that they're like, we can never do this. It's going to take too long. It's going to be way too expensive because uh, there's some famous songs on there. And so they tried to put out like a DVD with like the songs kind of taken out and then they had when there was people talking over the music they had to like redub the voices and it's like i never saw it but from what i heard it was horrible and i would never see that i got lucky my brother one of the best things he ever did for me he actually he knew i loved the show and he was at like a i don't know a flea market or something somewhere and he actually found somebody actually went and like i don't know what this was before tivo or any of the dvr or whatever somehow they were able to record like every episode and put them in order, so they were the original episodes on DVDs instead of bootleg bootleg DVDs. And he gave it to me as a gift. So I have the entire series of WKRP in Cincinnati on bootleg DVD of the original episodes with the original music uncut and everything, and it is fantastic. I mean, this it, the show is just. I, I think the most famous episode has to be the turkey one. That's the one where uh, Mr. Carlson. Everybody every, every year in Thanksgiving you see it. People post the. The clip of it where, uh, you know, Arthur Carlson, big guy, he thought he <laughs> they did a thing where the turkey drop, where they dropped a bunch of turkeys from from a helicopter overlooking the Pinedale Mall, Pinedale Mall, and he he thought turkeys could fly, but they couldn't. And so and they, I don't know, I, I can't give it away. You just go see the clip sometimes. Just put in like WKRP turkey drop on YouTube, and you'll see it. Or better yet, watch the whole episode. It's great. With God as my witness. I thought turkeys could fly. It It's the most famous episode of the series, but it's by far not even the funniest. Everybody says it is just because it's the most famous. And it is hilarious. But there are episodes that are actually much funnier. I think my all-time favorite episode is the one, the one where uh, Herb accidentally 
paints his daughter's paint uh, pet frog pink. That is, I can't even. There are some lines in there where you just could not get along. You you couldn't get away with today. You just couldn't do it because with this wokeness and all this stuff today, you just couldn't do it. But if you watch that episode, I'm telling you, man, I think about it and I just laugh. Uh, WKRP, and I mean. I mean, come on, Lonnie Anderson back in the 80s, she was the it girl. I mean, we'd go to this place uh, we had in South Nashville called Fun World, which is a big arcade, and they had that big famous poster of Lonnie Anderson and the red uh, the red bathing suit hanging up. And I, was, I remember, I mean, I hadn't gone through puberty yet, puberty yet, but I remember looking at that poster and thinking, I don't know what that is, but I know I like it. Lonnie Anderson, boy, whoo. And then the funny thing is years later as you – when you get older, you realize you're like, you know what? Maybe really Bailey Quarters was the hot one, and she was demure and Midwestern girl and everything. But I was like, maybe she was the real hot one, you know? But just a great show. WKRP in Cincinnati, uh, and I don't apologize for it. It is such a great show. Number, it's my absolute. It's my number two favorite show, my number two favorite sitcom of all time. Okay, and that takes us to my number one sitcom of all time. Max, can I have a drum roll? Come on, give me a drum roll. Number one sitcom of all time for me. No surprise to those who know me. Seinfeld. Absolutely my favorite sitcom of all time. I have never seen a show with more brilliant writing, uh, brilliant comedic writing, brilliant writing all around. Um, Just phenomenal. Now, here's my history with Jerry Seinfeld. I have a long history with him. So when I was uh, in high school... Jerry Seinfeld was a stand-up comedian, and there were millions of them back then, blah, 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 blah. Um, we had this videotape uh, at the house. I don't even know where it came from, but it was called Live at the Improv, and it was just like a mismatch or a mismatch or whatever you want to call it of a bunch of stand-up comedians doing their stand-up. And his stand-up was hilarious, and me and my buddies you know, who watched it with me, um, we used to just quote him constantly. He just had some just hilarious stand-up. And so I was a big fan of his. Uh, and then somewhere around 89, when I graduated from high school, I might have been a freshman in college at the time, um, I heard that they were making a sitcom, or he was making a sitcom called Seinfeld. So, of course, I was like, well, i got to see this because I love this guy. He's hilarious. Uh, and so I, I, I watched it when it first started, and it was just, it, was, it wasn't good. It just wasn't good. Uh, it was terrible. And if you go back and you watch, like, the first season, which is only, like, a, I think a handful of, I don't think it was even a full season, but if you watch it, it's it kind of. I mean, it, there's you can kind of see a little bit of a little what's to come. But for the most part, it's like if it had stayed like that, it would have bombed. And I think it kind of bombed at the first season. Um, and looking back, I'm kind of I kind of lost interest after that. But then they, you know, like a year or two later, I get that somehow he ended up getting picked up. And and I remember being in college a few years later and hearing people talk about the show, like oh, last night's episode was all hilarious and da da da. And I remember thinking, really that. The Seinfeld show? Because I, I thought it kind of sucked. Um, so then I, later on, uh, I think it was after I graduated college, actually, actually afterwards, uh, by then they were in like their fourth or fifth season. And I started watching all the old reruns of it because I was like, maybe, well, maybe it got better. So I started watching it. Oh, my God. It was just so funny. Um, and then it was just every episode we watched religiously. So the show has a really weird kind of history. Like I said, if you watch the first season... The first season only has like four or five episodes, and they're not really that great. They're not funny at all. Uh, they kind of start figuring it out in season two a little bit. Um, Larry David, one of the co-creators, 
Also, the Curb Your Enthusiasm. Also, the character of George is based on him, which is which is why it's so funny. Uh, in season two, you can as you go through it, you can kind of see that they're starting to figure things out. They're starting to figure out, you know, we can't be formulaic. We can't. We don't want to be just like a regular sitcom. We want to kind of do our own thing. And Larry David, for the most part, it was mostly him. Although Seinfeld does some of it, and Larry Charles as well. Um, one of the writers, they just they just start taking a direction that just kind of starts working. And then season three hits, and season three, they find their stride. And season three, it just becomes, you know, they start, that's when it really starts becoming like a, like Seinfeld that we know and love. I mean, just classic episodes, like the red dot with the cashmere, Georgie. I love the cashmere. The Pez dispenser, um, the limo, the parking space, the keys. I mean, it's just, it start. there's some real classic episodes, right? But then you get to season four, and in season four, it just it was like it was like you two when they put out the Joshua Tree. They went from being like one of like one of the one of the better bands around to being like the band, and everybody knew, hey, there's something different here. Uh, season four hits, and they just went on like Mach ten. Um, I mean, just the episodes, the Bubble Boy. The Cheever Letters, The Virgin, The Contest was maybe the most classic sitcom episodes of all time. Um, you know, The Visa, The Shoes, The Outing, the one with the, the old mint, the, the Junior Mint. Remember the Junior Mint? The Smelly Car. Oh, that's BBO. That's beyond BO, the handicap spot. Uh, and then at the end of season four, they do something really interesting. They do something where they just kind of parody themselves so in the it, this had never been seen before ever this was so groundbreaking where they in the show suddenly now this is a show called Seinfeld that stars Jerry Seinfeld right that's his name in real life obviously and they and he's got his own tv show I don't even know how to describe this it's just so brilliant but in the show the character of Jerry gets approached by NBC to create a to basically film a, a show about himself just like in real life, it's like art imitating life, or it's just brilliant. And uh, and then so from season four all the way through season eight, I mean, it just doesn't let up. It just goes, it just goes hard, and it brings, it, it brings its a game every single episode. I mean, I mean, look at season five, the mango, one of my all time favorite episodes, the puffy shirt. Everybody knows the puffy shirt, uh, the bris, another one of my all time favorites, the non fat yogurt, the barber, the masseuse. I mean. It, the stall. I don't have a square to spare. The marine biologist. Is anybody here a marine biologist? I mean, the writing is just so... It's I've never seen, with the exception of maybe Arrested Development, which was, again, like we talked about earlier, short-lived. I have never seen more brilliant writing of a sitcom than I have in this in, in Seinfeld. I mean, the, the, the common theme was they would have like two or three storylines going at once, and they would seemingly be going in all these different directions, but then somehow in the end... All of these different storylines dovetail and come together. And it's just, it worked for so many seasons. Uh, you know, it, the Hamptons. Remember the Hamptons? That was a great one. Um, the shop, the big, oh, you got to have the big salad. You know, the, the Chinese woman, which Max and I watched. Max and I are watching the, I, I'm, I'm, I've been trying a little bit here and there to get Max into Seinfeld a little bit because he loves Friends so much. At Seinfeld, I think some of the humor is a little bit above his, his age and his pay grade. Uh, but he's starting to watch it, and he's, you're starting to like it a little bit, right, Max? You know, you're starting to appreciate it. I've caught him quoting Seinfeld a few times, which 
kind of makes my heart just go pitter patter. I love it. Um, but yeah, we we watch. We've been watching the the high. I mean the uh, the uh, the reruns and stuff. Um, and yeah, just I just cannot say enough about this show. The characters. I mean the sayings. I mean they introduced tons of things into into the vernacular, like the soup Nazi, uh, sponge worthy, the maestro. You know stuff like that. You just no other no other show is is has really kind of done that. Um, and I to this day I just I've never seen a, a show that I just think is as funny and as smartly written and as brilliantly written as Seinfeld. It's my all time favorite uh, sitcom of all time. Um, and I will leave it there. Uh, hey Max, what is your all time favorite sitcom? Friends. Oh, Friends, of course. We already said that. What do you have a second one? Okay, well, you probably do. You probably just don't remember. You've seen some with me, but that's okay. We'll leave it there. Uh, yeah, so anyway, Seinfeld, my number one. So anyway, that's my 10. Uh, I know there's probably people out there cursing at me saying, how could you forget this one? How could you forget that one? That's fine. I mean, I, there's tons of sitcoms out there. Um, but it's my podcast, so these are my these those are my 10 favorite sitcoms of all time. Uh, and until next episode, this is Rick signing off and saying ciao.